Wisdom starts with a decision. First, we must choose to receive it, and then it becomes our constant companion guiding us on the journey God has called us to. I'm Scott with the Wisdom in All Things podcast. On today's episode, are you known by your love? Which begs the question, how should we be known? John 13.35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I'm really uncomfortable being asked a question like this, so I thought I would just ask you instead. Are you loving enough or in a way that is even noticeable? Or, at best, is it at a level or consistency that is what people think of first when they think of you? Not just your friends and family, but like total strangers. That is what John 13.35 is essentially saying. We will be known as a disciple of Jesus by our love. If followers of Jesus are known by their love, what does it say about who or what we are following if we are known by any other quality? For instance, what does it mean if we are known just by our intelligence or attractiveness or what we possess? Probably what is most potent about the distinction of a disciple of Jesus and why Jesus identifies this quality as separating his followers from those that follow everything else is because that love isn't about us. We will be known by what we are to others. And as we should strive to understand more fully every single day, Jesus is the love standard. If we loved as Jesus loved, it would most certainly be the first thing that came to mind when people thought of us. Consider the definition of love found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8a, in light of Jesus being the very definition of love. At all times, on all occasions, Jesus' love is patient, is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude, does not insist in his own way, is not irritable, is not resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, rejoices rather in the truth, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never ever smever ever ends. Who wouldn't want Jesus as a friend? On some days, it's sometimes I may reflect some of these qualities. However, it isn't that we should compare ourselves, but that we should recognize the contrast and allow God to transform us into the image of his son. By God's grace and strength, it's where we're headed. Drew Hunter, he's the teaching pastor at a church in uh, Indiana, says, but God made us for more. He made us in his own image, the image of a triune God who exists in communal love. Therefore, friendship is not a, a luxury, it's a relational necessity. We glorify God by enjoying him and reflecting his relational love with one another. While we are inherently good at loving ourselves, we just can't seem to apply those same standards to others, at least as deeply or consistently as we should. Perhaps one reason is that we find it too easy to see the sins of others causing us to hate the sinner rather than the sin. C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity says, For a long time I used to think this a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. However much I might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There's never been the slightest difficulty about it. If we want people to benefit from wisdom, it must flow out of love. Love breaks down barriers and paves the way for the truth to be heard. Imagine how much more likely people would be to receive what we had to say if we led with love. So how do we take our level of self-love and apply it to others? 
essentially leading with love. When you consider scriptures like 1 Corinthians 13 or Matthew 22, 37 through 40, which prioritizes loving God and others, not to mention the life of Jesus, it becomes very obvious to see that love comes first. Consider how our conversations and relationships would look different if we were to leave with love. Here are a few factors to help establish a foundation of love. First, we're talking about New Testament love. Love isn't just found in 1 Corinthians 13. Brotherly love, or phileo, is prevalent throughout the New Testament. The Greek word denotes a relationship consisting of a strong connection of enjoyment and appreciation. I came across a study on brotherly love from Reverend David Pratt, where he not only takes into consideration what 1 Corinthians 13 presents, but provides a broader roadmap from the New Testament of actions that help us assess where we're at in demonstrating our love for one another. So additional characteristics of leading with love look like this. Brothers do not speak harmfully or unloving to one another. Brothers seek to avoid causing other brothers to stumble. Brothers should strengthen and encourage one another to serve God faithfully. Brothers must discuss their differences. When we consider loving others in light of the whole of the New Testament, we can see the care that must be taken to truly love one another. So look at love from the whole New Testament. Secondly, we're talking about steady love. Depending on our emotions to compel us to love will ultimately undermine our consistency and commitment to loving others. In fact, keeping our minds on things above, which we've talked about before, should be the footing on which we stand when steadying our love for others. Eras, in an article called How Does a Christian Show Brotherly Love, says Christian love demands self-control, discipline, consistency. Feelings are deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9. It is not the basis of brotherly love. It is the word of God. Proverbs 17, 17 reminds us that a friend loves at all times. Our love should not be limited by time, location, or the recipient. We need to be steady in our love. Third, some practical tips from men. Drew Hunter offers five ways to cultivate a friendship in his article, Why is Friendship Hard for Men? And I've seen this come up now more recently, just discussing men's uh, difficulty to have friendships. Two of his points that make for good practical first steps for men in particular are deep conversations or deeper conversations. He admonishes us to drop each conversation one notch deeper. And there are a couple of ways that he suggests that you can do that that I think are are pretty straightforward and are simple for guys like me that are more introverted. Um, He says to ask thoughtful questions regarding what you want to learn about your friend. So think of conversations in that way to drop it down a notch deeper. And he also says that leaning into having deeper conversations by simply talking about what each of you are reading, which can be just a very simple question. So deeper conversations, he also says, provide an invitation. He recommends we invite our friends into what we're already doing, whatever it may be, watching or going to a sporting event, exercising, grabbing coffee or dinner, whatever it may be. If you're doing it, just invite your friend along. For some motivation to take these practical steps, here's a quote from uh, World War II POW in an article on the art of manliness titled, Greater Love Hath No Man Than This. It's from uh, Ernest Gordon. He was a commander in a Scottish infantry battalion and a prisoner of the Imperial Japanese Army in Thailand. He says this, We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between the forces that made for life and those that made for death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-indulgence, laziness, and pride were all anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith 
on the other hand, were the essence of life, turning mere existence into living in its truest sense. He said, these were the gifts of God to men. And lastly, we need to know what to guard against, as is the case with probably too many areas of our lives. We can be our own worst enemy, especially when it comes to loving others. Our self-love can keep us from loving others more than ourselves. Eric Raymond, he's a senior pastor at Redeemer Fellowship Church in Boston. He says, if we are going to persevere this brotherly love amidst adversity, we need to know what the problem is. What impedes brotherly love? What derails it? What suffocates it? In short, he says, selfishness. There's both an urgency and a sensitivity to our guarding our hearts against selfishness. If we were on a deserted island, you'd have a little bit more time to deal with it. But addressing selfishness becomes quite urgent when you consider how quickly it can impact everyone we come in contact with. Talk about spreading a disease. Also, what we say or don't say, what we do or don't do, requires that we are vigilant in thinking before we speak or act. Being sensitive to how our actions affect others demonstrates our empathy toward others. John Bloom, in his article, Lord, Increase My Capacity to Love, points us to the bottom line, that is, where our love for others should be rooted. The basis for loving others starts with Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus calls this the great and first commandment. Then he adds the second, which is to love others as we love ourselves. Bloom provides a, a short but daring prayer that I'll end with, which should serve as a starting point for our loving others. He says, whatever it takes, Lord, increase my capacity to love until I love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as I love myself. I know you're busy. This is why we put together the Wisdom in All Things podcast to help you benefit from all there is to read, watch, and listen to. And if you would, please tell others about what you heard and where you can hear it. Wisdominallthings.com.